It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Before we begin, we wanted to offer our condolences to the family of longtime Tiger Scout Scott Reed. He passed away at the age of 74 last week. Scott made his life's work the game of baseball and has had a bigger influence on the Tigers roster than we can possibly imagine. Once drafted out of Arizona State in 1967 with the 38th overall pick, how fitting that he got to watch the Tigers take not one but two players from his alma mater in the 2020 MLB draft, including first overall pick Spencer Torkelson. Our thoughts are with his family at this difficult time. Hey, this is Dylan Dingler. The Road to Detroit podcast starts right now. The year you wanted the number one overall pick in the MLB draft isn't 2021. It was 2020. There are good years to have the number one pick. Looking at you, Detroit Pistons. And there are years you don't want it because first overall picks are expensive. There are also years where the player you want doesn't want you. That's why I'm grateful for Spencer Torkelson. He wanted to be a Tiger. Go listen to our last conversation with him. Go back and catch the last episode. The year you want the number one pick is when there is a slam dunk number one overall consensus choice. That was Spencer Torkelson in 2020. This year could be any one of a group of five or six different players. The fact that the Tigers have the number three overall pick, it's not a bad thing. This year's draft could go in any number of different directions. But what this draft represents might be the last opportunity to grab that big last wave of prospects that we can add into the Tigers' top 30. Whatever pieces you need, this is like the last moment where you check your stuff to make sure you have everything before you go to the airport. That's kind of where we are with the Tigers right now. Look at what they're doing at the big league level. Imagine having posted back-to-back winning months for the first time in five years and having a pair of top 10 prospects at areas of need. Just for fun, add Akil Badu. Just for fun, add Dylan Dingler, who, by the way, is on today's show. And just for fun, let's all collectively face the reality that the Tigers are less than a week away from adding not one, not two, three. I sound like LeBron James. Not two, not three, not four. Not five, <laughs> not six, not seven. Three top 15 prospects. The MLB draft is here. And this is the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt, our draft preview episode. As we said, Dylan Dingler joins us, Tigers number four prospect. And as we focus on the MLB draft, Brian Sikowski, the Michigan native, a perfect game, joins us here on the road to Detroit, presented by Carhartt. But let's go to the news. The Detroit Tigers named their minor league player and pitcher of the month. Player of the month is this young man. 
a 51 ERA. 3-2 runner takes off. Torkelson cracks one deep left center. Landon looking up. That ball's crushed and gone. Touch of all time. Spencer Torkelson, a laser beam over the wall in left center. That's his fourth home run, and the Seawolves out to a 2-0 lead here in the bottom of the first inning. No surprise, Spencer Torkelson, 11 doubles, a triple, six homers, and 22 runs batted in in June, hit nearly 300 and on base over 420. He has been everything we thought he could be as a Tigers minor leaguer, as good as advertised, if not more so. As for the pitcher of the month, this was a nice little surprise. Brendan White, the product of Siena College and our Dylan Rosa award winner. He allowed just one earned run the entire month. Ever since becoming a starter, 25 innings on the mound, an ERA of one. He's got a nasty slider, and it's one of the better sliders in the entire Tigers system. He discovered that a little bit late, and he has really been working to hone that pitch. It is considered one of the best sliders in the entire Tigers organization. Speaking of Spencer Torkelson, he and Riley Green are headed to the MLB Futures game. What was that comment Spencer Torkelson made on this show last week? I take it you've never hit in Coors Field. Yes, Coors Field's probably on top of the list that I'd want to take a batting practice at. Something tells me you're going to get that opportunity. Ah, yes, that's right. I think he knew. I think Spencer knew he was going to Coors Field. He just had to put that ball right on the tee, didn't he? Congratulations to Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green. Meanwhile, the Tigers had their all-star representative selected, and it's somebody we talked about on this show back in 2019. Gregory Soto is going to the MLB All-Star game. Numbers were dominant in the minor leagues, and it took a while. And I think it's important to look at somebody like Gregory Soto and recognize the importance of patience because Gregory Soto came into this system as an 18-year-old. It took him a while to figure it out. But patience has paid off with Gregory Soto. I think it's a win for the international scouting department, so congratulations to Tom Moore. But Gregory Soto put up great numbers in the first couple of months of the season. 4-1 with a 2.94 ERA, 40 strikeouts through under 34 innings of work. He's continued to build confidence. The numbers have gotten better and better as the season has gone on. Congratulations to Gregory Soto. He's an all-star. That's the news from around the Tiger system. Let's hit the on-ramp. Low A Lakeland. They lost five out of six on the road against Daytona. And West Michigan, they won the first three against Peoria before losing the last three games. There's going to be a little switch between Lakeland and West Michigan. The shortstops, to be specific. West Michigan shortstop Trey Cruz goes from West Michigan to Lakeland. And Gage Workman, who was taken in the fourth round out of Arizona State, he will come up to West Michigan. Workman finished the road stretch with seven hits, two doubles, a triple, and a pair of runs scored. As for West Michigan, we talked about Brendan White. He secured his second win on the year back on July 1st. Gave up just two runs in six innings, and he punched out four in the 4-2 West Michigan victory against Peoria. It's funny, those two runs White gave up, the second most he's given up in a start this year, that's saying something. Only once this year had White allowed more than three runs in any appearance, and that was back when he was in the bullpen, but the Tigers found something with him, and it looks like they're going to maximize it. At the plate, Bryant Packard went crazy this week. 
Yeah, the Packard plant is open this week. I don't know if you heard. He's currently riding a seven-game hit streak, and in the last five of those games, he's had at least one extra base hit. A double, three home runs, all of which came in the last four games of the series at Peoria. Seven runs batted in. A bat that we have been waiting for to come around this year is starting to heat up. Off to A Erie. The Seawolves dropped four of five at home against the Redding Fighting Phils. One of those games, they actually got no hit, and that's an accomplishment. If you're no hitting the likes of Spencer Torkelson and Dylan Dingler and Riley Green, you're doing something right. Meanwhile, Green finished the home stretch with a triple, his team-leading ninth home run, and seven runs batted in. As for Torkelson, a pair of home runs in the home series, two doubles, three runs batted in, and Dylan Dingler, four hits and a triple. Triple three runs batted in. To Toledo, the Mudhens won five out of six at home against Columbus. That's a good week. Cody Clemens hit safely in five of six against the Clippers, a triple and a home run. He scored seven times in that series. We also get a rare check-in of the Florida Complex League, the FCL as it's now known, and Tiger's number 10 prospect hit the first pitch he saw in the professional ranks for a home run, a solo shot for Roberto Campos. We talked about him a couple of years ago. International signing director Tom Moore, he joined us. And at the time, we really had no idea what we were getting. I still, quite honestly, don't know what we're getting. But one pitch into his professional career, a solo home run. The real question is, do you retire at that point? Do you just hang them up? Because, I mean, if you go full Roy Hobbs, maybe you just ride off into the sunset. All right, I don't think that's what's happening with Roberto Campos. But, wow, what a way to start for a Tigers top 10 prospect that we know so little about. But talk about an unbelievable start to his professional career. First pitch, congratulations to Roberto Campos. We'll be keeping a very close eye for the rest of the summer. There's the on-ramp. The road to Detroit continues. Now we have a chance to talk about the MLB draft. The 2021 MLB draft is just days away. And this is an important selection for the Detroit Tigers. There are a lot of different factors at play. And there are a handful of names that we could very easily see in a Detroit Tigers uniform. The person we talked to back in 2019 when the Tigers took Riley Green. He joins us here on this edition of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. That's Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game. My man, good to see you. You too, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Been too long. It has. This is an important time for the Detroit Tigers because we're finally starting to see the fruits of this patience and this labor at the major league level. Your impressions of what this pick means the way the Tigers are currently constructed. Well, I think you could go one or two ways with it. And it really it depends on if you're drafting high school or college, kind of, is, is where you can draw the line. If you take a college guy, then all of a sudden that dude is right on the same timeline potentially as, as Torkelson Green and Dingler in double A. You know, if it's Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker, take your pick, Henry Davis, whatever. Those guys could reasonably like be in double A this year to finish the season and then and then be on that same timeline, whether that be 2022, 2023, whatever it is. So that's enticing. That's exciting because you just add another piece and now there's more. You know, it just that's a cool thing. But that's not how you draft really in baseball. Uh, if it happens to work out that way, fantastic. But you're drafting, you know, you, you want the best guy the best player on the board. And so if that's a high school guy, and it may well be the way this draft might fall and just in terms of 
the the general board and the general consensus who the best players are, it may well be a high school guy. And that is not obviously on the same timeline as Torkelson and Green and so on and so forth. But if you end up getting a dude two years later than when those guys arrive in Detroit, who cares? He's still really good and is going to help you win. You know, so that's where the, the timeline thing is not nearly as important as taking the player who's the best player. Um, and that that might well be a high school guy. In 2019, we were watching Riley Green become the fifth overall pick. And I heard you make a comment not too long ago saying that Riley Green might end up being the best player from this draft. Yeah, we don't know yet. I I mean, Rutschman is really good. Bobby Witt Jr. is a superstar. Like, all these things, like, there may be, you know, seven, eight all-stars from that draft at the end of the day, which is really a loud draft in and of itself. And Riley may not end up being the best one, uh, but he's 20 years old and raking in double A and he's giving every indication that he might be able to play center. And and even if he doesn't, he'll be a defensive asset in the corner rather than like just okay. And the power is there more than I think anybody expected it to be this soon. You know, I, I don't, I haven't looked at the stats. What's he got eight or nine bombs already this season? Like, 20-year-old kid in double-A going to on pace for 15, 18 home runs, like, while hitting, while getting on base? Like, you, I mean, that's absurd. That doesn't happen very often. That's one of those prospects that, like, you read about on Baseball America that another team got that you're envious of. Like, how come we never get that? Well, you might have gotten one now, you know. And so it's hard not to – there's no way to, like, say that was the wrong pick. Riley Green seems like he's a dude, dude. I just – I don't know if I would say that even th- at this point, if he's going to be better than like Bobby Witt, who, who might be like a seven, you know, Hall of Fame type of guy. Uh, but either way, it's Riley Green's really good. We knew it at the time. He's done nothing but exceed expectations, I don't think. Uh, and so a hell of a pick, hell of a player. <laughs> Tell me about this year's draft. And if you can, where does this class stack up? I know there's maybe not a clear-cut number one overall pick this year, but in terms of depth, I mean, the Tigers have picks 32 and 39. Where does this class stack up compared to the last couple of years? It is as deep in terms of one demographic in particular, and that being high school hitters, as any draft I've ever seen. Um, but, like, high school hitters are, are crapshoots a lot of the time, you know, so – so that five years from now, we might be talking about this class as either like a, an iconic all-time one or an absolute dud uh, because high school bats, we don't know. It's light on college players. It's light on college performers. Uh, there were no players who dropped more from preseason lists than the, than college bats did this year because no one wanted to perform with the exception of like, you know, Henry Davis grabbed a top 10 pick by the throat and like held on to it. And Sal Frelick kind of did the same thing. And Colton Kowser, you could say. But other than that, you know, you, there's a there's a dearth of those college bats in the middle middle of the first round or so to where now you're going to have guys who maybe should go 50 or 60 who are going to go 30 to 40 because they're the college bat and a team likes a college bat, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but I think the high school bats are so, so deep. I think there's guys that you could reasonably talk about in the back of the first round who are going to go all the way through pick 60. Uh, um, it's just that's a risky demographic in and of itself. So it's easy for us to sit here and say it's an uber-talented prep bat class, which it is, but not all of those guys are going to be good big leaguers, you know, so we'll see. 
let's start at the top of a lot of different draft boards and just see what names we're looking at. Because you mentioned high school shortstops, high school bats being a big part of this class. Marcelo Mayer, the high school shortstop from California, who played at the same high school, Eastlake High School, that Adrian Gonzalez once played at. There is a backstory there, but there's a lot of people talking about whether he's even available for the Tigers. Is there any chance that Mayer could be there at number three? Yeah, I, to start off, I don't think there's any set picks. It's an unknown right now. It's like kind of like 2017 or whatever the last like no slam dunk one one guy draft was where we didn't know up until right before it happened. But so I don't know. I, I, yeah, I think Mayer could be there at three. I, I think the Tigers would like for him to be there at three. I personally would like for him to be there at three. He's a left handed bat who plays shortstop. It's a big, long, strong body, six three, six four, one ninety somewhere in there. Some thought that he might get too big to play short because he's not like a super freaky, athletic, twitchy guy. Uh, it's super advanced actions. It's a plus arm. He's that like SoCal kind of glides through his actions and looks fantastic, even if he's not like an elite athlete type of guy, like the advancement of, of the actions like that. Even if he outgrows short, I think he'll be a good defender at third, but I, I don't know if we're giving him enough credit for being a good shortstop defender. Uh, but it's the bat. The bat is why he's he's that high. It's plus power right now, left-handed stick, good feel for the barrel, projects to hit, projects to hit for power. Corey Seager is the popular comparison. I don't necessarily disagree with it all that much. I, I think Mayer might be a little bit more athletic than Seager was at the same time. But yeah, you're buying the bat there. You're, you're buying the hope that even if this is a third baseman, this is a dude who's going to hit 280 with maybe 30 bombs and if that's a third baseman, it's an all-star. If that's a shortstop, it's a freak. You know, so it, that's what you hope. That's what the upside is with him, for sure. There are two players that have been talked about as super high picks in this year's draft for years. They're two very different backgrounds. And Jordan Lawler, the high school shortstop from Texas, and Kamar Rocker, the right-handed pitcher from Vanderbilt, we have been watching for a long time in very different settings. But you know, there is a term, and I know you're familiar with it, paralysis by analysis. We have had a long time to watch these two players. Yeah, and Kumar's been scouted for like six years now. Like, he was famous at 15, you know, and then... Rose up through the high school ranks, was super famous as a high school senior, super famously did not sign, was college baseball's most exciting freshman. Tonight, like That dude has never not been under the radar. So I think there's definitely some paralysis by analysis there. But I think we've also kind of gained a better understanding into what makes him good rather than like just looking at it and seeing that he's good. Uh, and some teams like that, some teams don't. Uh, you know, I, I've seen some – some pitch data that that says that you know he's got an incredible breaking ball, but the reason it's so successful is his ability to locate it rather than the pitch itself. And so when you're projecting that out to the major league level, major league hitters are way better than college hitters, even in the SEC. So what if the location becomes more of a problem because big league hitters have a better knowledge of the zone? You know, what if it's not the pitch itself that's missing the bats, but it's the location and, and big league hitters can neutralize that location, then maybe we have a problem. Um, but that's just, that's one theory, you know? So I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen Kumar kind of fall from that top five to, to more top 10. Um, and Lawler, I, 
there's a there's a decent shot Lawler goes to school. I think. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a really strong commitment to Vanderbilt. I think he's got a high signing number. I, I don't, um, you know, I'm not like here to talk about what that is specifically. I don't even know. I, I just like, I, I think there's a chance that he goes to school and that's something that isn't being talked about. He really wants, he really likes Vanderbilt, wants to go to Vanderbilt, would be a two year guy there because he's old. These are two guys who I think are top 10 picks on talent with uh with the Vanderbilt connection there Lawler did the same deal as far as everybody knew who he was at 14 because of Team USA Kumar was the same way there's the similarities in that sense I think Lawler has some of the prospect fatigue that you talked about but not as much (laughs) so from one Vanderbilt pitcher to another and there's some interesting comparisons about these two players as well. A lot has been made about Vanderbilt pitcher Jack Leiter, who, of course, is right now probably at the forefront of college baseball scene. Jack Leiter is six foot one inches tall. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, this narrative has been pushed that Jack Leiter might have some size concerns. Meanwhile, the other right-handed pitcher who is currently being talked about as a possibility in those top five picks or so, the high schooler from Oklahoma, Jackson Job, is six foot two. Explain why this one inch changes the narrative. I don't know when it started, but like six two somehow became the like arbiter of height line. If you're below 6'2", you're undersized. If you're above 6'2", it's fine. Like, I don't know when that happened or how it happened or where it happened. But it's especially irrelevant now that we know, like, the lower you release the ball and the more four-seam spin you have on it to the top of the zone, it's actually better if you're short. I don't know if it matters. I, I think the size concerns now are generally talked about in terms of durability. Generally speaking, dudes who are 5'10", 170 aren't going to be able to hold up as well as the guys who are 6'3", 220 over the course of a 200-inning major league season or whatever. You know, it, uh, the late Jordano Ventura, one of the few who could. You know, Stroman, one of the few who can. Like, those are the exceptions, not the rule. But with Leiter, it, it's the size is irrelevant because he he pitches, like, optimized for his size already. He's a guy who's got that vertical release. He gets, you know, 100% spin efficiency on his four-seamer, throws it to the top of the zone. He's got that that induced vertical break on it. And that's why you see him missing so many bats at 94 right here at the letters is because that's what he is. That's his optimized fastball. Lighter is right here, right at you. And, and that's why even at 94, 95, it's like a 70 pitch because of how well it plays. Uh, when he's throwing 98, it's an 80 pitch. But, that you know, you cannot hit that. 98 perfectly located at the letters with those traits on it you are not touching that i don't care how good you are where he gets into trouble is when he limits down from there like when he goes when he loses it towards the middle um and he's got some walks but i think that's more of like he refuses to move from throwing fastballs at the top of the zone and sometimes they miss by a half ball with up and that's a ball but he refuses to deviate from his plan of pitching there. So I think that's where you see that elevated walks rather than like he just loses control of the ball. Um, but either way, he, he's an optimized guy. Scott Brown at Vanderbilt's done this done a wonderful job with him. He was a potential first-rounder out of high school, but now he's a potential 1-1 guy. Uh, so you can see the progression there. This is one of those uh, events where the projected first-rounder who goes to college, it's actually the right call. Um, there's a couple of those. Uh, it might be Kumar, it might be Matt McClain in this class, but either way. Um, breaking ball's gotten a ton better. He's got a slider. I, 
the size concerns don't matter to me, I guess is what I'm saying. Be- it would matter if he was trying to like be a planed guy and like pitch down in the zone with sink, but he's 5'10 or 5'11 and can't. But he's not. Like That's not who he is, so it doesn't matter, I don't think. He's really good. Well, he's close to a finished product, too, I think. Help me understand this as well. Jackson Job, talented high school pitcher. Everybody's talking about him as a huge prospect for this year's draft. His signature pitch is a slider with an elite spin rate. That is a buzzword through the industry. We know that. Meanwhile, there are players currently in the Tigers minor league system who were found much later in the draft who have similar metrics on their pitches. So what I'm curious to know is what makes Jackson Job's pitch so unique, and it's a pitch you want to take at number three overall. Meanwhile, you're getting similar peripheral numbers from guys that were taken 10, 20, 30 rounds later. Well, there's a there's a total package element. But in terms of spin rate in particular, the spin efficiency we now know matters far more than the, the raw spin rate. Uh, and that is, you know, what percent your spin efficiency is what percentage of the raw spin is on like the ideal shape. Like I'm not going to pretend to be a, a pitching guy, but I have a rudimentary understanding of it at best. But Job's slider is like 3,200 sometimes, but the the like true spin of it or whatever is like 3,150 sometimes. Like the spin efficiency is, is fantastic. And that's why you see like not only does it spin a lot, it moves seven feet. Like it moves through dimensions, you know, like that's why you see the the quality of the slider is a little bit different. And that's another example. We can talk about fastball and Jack Leiter and the spin efficiency. Like Jack Leiter has plus four seam spin on his fastball. But the reason it's so elite in that sense is because it's 100% efficiency. Like every single bit of his RPM is is like true spin. And that's what makes that that four seamer rises so much. And and it's similar with breaking balls. Like you want the spin efficiency to to as closely mirror the raw spin as you can. Like you want it as close to 100%, obviously. And and Job's is absurd at times. Like it's 100% at times with, with the gross, as much movement as you can imagine. But with that being said, like there is something to be said for targeting high spin guys, even if it's low efficiency, in the hopes that your player dev can like you know, close that efficiency gap. Because if a dude can spin a ball 3,000 RPM, he has ability to spin the baseball. Like, period. There's that raw ability right there. So if you can all of a sudden, you know, you trust Chris Fetter and, and the Tigers player dev system and pitching and, and Dan Hubs, and, you know, and, and it's uh, if you can all of a sudden get that spin efficiency closer to it, then bam, plus pitch sometimes. You know what I mean? And that's how you can maximize that later round value. Carrying skills is an interesting buzz term around draft season. And I want to get your thought on the carrying skills for each of these names we've talked about today. But the one person we have yet to talk about is Brady House, the high schooler from Georgia, who his last name is very appropriate to his physical build. He is absolutely a monster. Give me some of the carrying skills for Brady House. Yeah, power. that's the profile Uh, you know once you get beyond that there are peripheral tools that make that's why he's a top five pick you know but um power is the carrier it's absurd it's like 70 raw right now um that this is this tournament that i'm like at right now as you and i talk the very first game of it last summer the very first swing i saw brady house hit a ball onto the road at a high school like a 440 foot shot with wood uh and like it's 
that's who he is. We can talk about the whole profile. I, I think he's a, a, he's a plus athlete for as big as he is. Uh, he's capable of turning in plus times down the line. Uh, he's been up to 97 on the mound. We're a little too quick to throw him in the third base bucket because of how big he is. Uh, I think House is a better chance to play short than Mayer because I think Brady's just a, a great better athlete. If he has to move to third, he has to move to third. But, you know, it's we're, we're too quick as an industry to be like, oh, that dude's big. He can't play short. Like, well, why don't you watch him? Like, I think he can, you know. Plus arm, like I said, the, the bat, the hit tool, this is not that power dude that you hope can come into a 40 bat and he'll hit enough to play. Like, I – if you like Brady House, it's like a 55 hit tool. It's a it's a dude you think can hit 270 with like 35 home runs or whatever, whatever your your power output grade is on 70. That's what this is. That's this guy. I, he had a tough summer from the months of June to September were not great for him. Uh, they were fine. They just weren't great. And then, you know, he was dealing with some personal stuff and COVID was was going on and it was just a struggle for some guys to get started last summer. And then he killed it all fall. You know, he was a consistently over 100 mile an hour exit velocities in Jupiter, uh, had a lot of them, did the same thing this spring against really good competition against some players whose names you'll also hear called uh, in the first day of the draft. I'm in on Brady House. I don't know if this is if I've made this clear. I think he's he's a guy who, even if he plays third, I don't care because I think he'll hit it for power. Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game joins us. All right, let's go lightning round style. We mentioned the power for Brady House. I'll name a prospect. You give me his carrying skill. Marcelo Mayer. Power. Jordan Lawler. Well-rounded profile. Jack Leiter. Fastball. Jackson Job. Slider. <laughs> Kamar Rocker. Slider. Or breaking ball, breaking ball. Let's talk about picks 32 and 39, because I know you have a lot of guys. You've already complimented the depth of this class. Give me a couple names at 32 and 39 that you wouldn't mind seeing based on what you have noticed on the Tigers roster or in their Tigers player development system. Well, they need a shortstop, right? I mean, that's kind of, you need a shortstop. Are you going to get that guy at three? Are you going to get that guy at thirty-two? Are you going to get? Are you not going to get that guy at all and just and get it in free agency? Like whatever the 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 system and, and current roster are, are devoid of true shortstops. So I think that's probably a plan of attack. If you're going to go lighter at three, that opens up a world of prep possibilities for you down the board. If you go prep guy at three, generally speaking, you don't want to take three prep players with your first three picks because prep players are weird to project. So it would depend on what they do with three, but you know I'm I'm selfish and self indulgent, so I'll say Alex Mooney, uh, the local kid, Michigan high school shortstop, who I, I think would be in play for them at one of those two picks. Um, I picked Tyler Black from Wright State in the prospects live mock when I acted as the Tigers. Uh, he's a, a left-handed hitting second baseman from Wright State who I just bangs at limited to second base, but he hits and and. You know, I think he'd fit that timeline, too, uh, of a guy who could move decently quickly. Um, he's like a Daniel Cabrera for me in this draft. Like, you know, I love Daniel Cabrera because he could hit, and I didn't care about the rest of it. I see Black similarly. So it depends. Like, you know, are you operating under the assumption they take prep bat? Then let's go college arm later or something like that. And it could be any number of guys. I think you could look at someone like Kyler Bush, who's a big lefty from St. Mary's who found some velocity this spring and is – now up to 97 with a plus slider. 
if you go the uh, Tommy Mace is a guy we talked about for them last year from Florida. He's still in play there. Spencer Schwellenbach, the two-way guy from Nebraska who's a Saginaw native. Um, they like SEC bats. Christian Franklin may still be around the Arkansas outfielder. Uh, and then if you go college early and then you have prep open to you later, it could be any number of guys. Uh, James Wood, Tyler Whitaker, Jackson Merrill, Max Muncy, like any of these prep bats in this range. Josh Baez, Joe Mack, Peyton Stovall, Colson Montgomery. I'm telling you, man, there's so many prep bats in this class that, that it's, you know, these guys are in a different year. They'd be the ninth best high school player in the country and maybe go in the first round. And in this year, they're the 17th best, you know, something like that. Um, so that's a good class, and they, they sh- should be able to get creative. You know, considering what the Tigers have done at the major league level, to now see that they've got this opportunity yeah. to add one more premium piece to this prospect crop pretty exciting and with any luck the tigers won't be picking this high the next time we talk next year so brian sikowski from perfect game thank you very much for joining us appreciate the time and we'll have lots to talk about once all the dust settles come draft day won't we looking forward to it man thank you for having me as always it's now time for our first edition of the RTD Mailbag. Did this a couple of times back in 2019, and this is your chance to ask questions of us on the show. Of course, our job is to be kind of the watchdog for you. Check on everything going on in the minor league system, and this is your chance to tell us what you want to know. Our Nate Wangler's got to look at some of the questions for us today. Nate, what's our first question? Thanks, Dan. Our first question comes from Don H. Why hasn't wait, wait, J- Don H. Don H. Is it? It's not Don Hosty, is Don, it? I don't it think this is like be. a burner account situation. <laughs> Did you come up with a fake account? <laughs> Why hasn't Jacob Robson gotten a shot at the major league level yet? Well, you know, if anybody has a case, Jake Robson certainly has one. He's batting three fifty and above. His on base is nearly five hundred. He's had a phenomenal season. The things working against him is that you look at the outfield in Detroit. You see Derek Hill is there. You see Daz Cameron's there. Akil Badu is having a great season. Then you get some veteran presences like a Robbie Grossman, for example. A lot of reasons that there's not a lot of opportunity in the outfield right now. Jake Robson also went and played for Team Canada this year. I don't think that's necessarily a reason why he's not up in Detroit right now because he actually played pretty well for Canada. But he is now in Toledo. He continues to have success. You know what they say, you just control what you can control. And I I think the things that Jake Robson can control, he's certainly controlling. So we're going to get to a point over the course of the next couple of months where there's going to be a situation where the Tigers are going to need help in the outfield. We see it all the time. I mean, how many players are on the injured list right now? And this isn't just exclusive to the Tigers. Every team goes through this, and you have to eventually dip into your system. And it becomes a question of how talented are you in AAA? How talented are you in AA? And if you're able to pick a guy hitting over 350 from AAA, I'd say you feel pretty good about that. I think he gets a chance at some point before this season's over. Next question comes from Tagarland on Twitter. From After T-G-A-R-L-A-N-D. Tagarland. That sounds like Tigerland. <laughs> Tigerland. All right, that works. After the big three, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Tarek Skubal, who do you see coming up that will help fill out the rest of that starting rotation? You know what? I don't think you need too much more than that. I think as long as you have, I mean, in a perfect world, those three prospects, Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tarek Skubal, they all hit. But as we know in prospect land, it's not always a guarantee. Typically, guys, I mean, 
your hit rate is probably, if you're lucky, about two out of three. So if you get all three of those guys to hit, now all of a sudden you only have two more rotation spots to fill. So you can keep Matthew Boyd. You can keep Spencer Turnbull. If you decide you want to go bring in one more veteran pitcher over the course of the next couple of years to kind of lead these young guns into battle over the course of the next handful of seasons, I have a few thoughts on who that veteran pitcher might be. We're not going to get into that right now because that's not this show. But that's the point. I think if you have those three prospects hit, Mize, Manning, Scooble, all of a sudden you're playing with a huge competitive advantage. And I think your need to fill out the other spots of that rotation, I think you already have what you need. Now it's just a question of how many resources you want to put into continuing to add to that. I mean, look, you still need a bullpen. If you have a great starting pitching rotation and your bullpen is bad, it's like putting a racing stripe on a minivan. Like, don't do that. So, again, there's going to need to be resources allocated to other areas. You need a lockdown bullpen. We've seen it time and time again. There is a huge value in an outstanding bullpen. That's probably just as big of a need for the Tigers going forward as is, say, maybe a shortstop or somebody else once free agency starts to ramp up. Because I think the Tigers are going to spend, once these younger pieces, and they're already kind of starting to show that they're going to be able to compete at the major leagues. So if you add more to that, some of the younger guys come up, the guys in AA, for example, now all of a sudden you've got a great sales pitch. Next question. Last question we have for this mailbag segment comes from Noah, and I, I love this. He goes, hey guys, just wanted to say I love the RTD. It's awesome to listen, and I never miss a week. I feel like I know these guys almost, and I want them to succeed. With the draft coming up, I always am curious about drafting a high school player versus a college player, specifically in round number one. I'm curious how much that plays a role in the scouting and drafting process. Thank you very much. Thanks for the question, Noah. It's funny, because that's exactly what I think might be playing out right here, right now. The Tigers might have a choice between a college pitcher and a high school pitcher, Both are right-handed, and both are very highly regarded. Jack Leiter, outstanding pitcher at Vanderbilt, been one of the best pitchers in all of college baseball this season, the son of Al Leiter of MLB Network. Jack Leiter's the real deal. And the truth is, is that if the Tigers take Jack Leiter, he probably doesn't have to go to the complex leagues. He probably doesn't have to go to low A. He can probably catch up with a lot of the nucleus of Tigers prospects that are sitting at the high A level, at the double A level. So, you don't have to check as many boxes in order to prove that you can move up the ladder. Meanwhile, Jackson Job, a high school pitcher from Oklahoma, is starting to enter this conversation. And I get it. It is a risk to take a high school right-handed pitcher high in the draft, especially when you've got somebody like Jack Leiter sitting there staring you in the face as well. But wouldn't it be the most massive compliment to what the Detroit Tigers think of Jackson Job, if they were willing to take him over Jack Leiter, they have to see something with him that might say that he might not just be a good player. There is clearly something there that they are seeing that would suggest he might be an elite player. And you know, another thing about high school prospects, here's the thing. High school prospects hold value for longer periods of time. Typically, if you have a high school guy, you're talking about someone who's two, three, four years younger than your average college player. So we can be a little bit more patient with them. Look how long it took Matt Manning to make the major leagues. And he never saw his prospect star weaken. 
or darken. He always seemingly had himself highly regarded through all of minor league baseball. Somebody like Jackson Job could certainly be somebody who could stay in that conversation, who could be at the forefront. And again, I'm curious just to see how the Tigers play this because you go with Jack Leiter, you kind of know what you're getting. You've had a guy that's been dominant and is now excelling on the biggest stage in college baseball. But if they take Jackson Job, I think that tells us a lot about what the Detroit Tigers think of him. That's a look at the RTD mailbag. It's now time for best in class. Of all the players in the Tigers minor league system this past week, this one made the most noise. Three-two count, the next toss, swing and a high drive deep to center field. He's got a chance, back goes Chamberlain. He looks up, this ball is over and gone. Brian Packard off the batter's eye in dead center field. We're tied at one here in the four. And they said the Packard plant was closed. Congratulations, <laughs> Brian Packard, a first-time winner of Best in Class here in 2021. Off the charts this past week for Brian Packard. Doubled his season-long home run total. His home runs have come in bunches this year. He had three in the final four games of the Peoria series, and all of them were absolute monster shots, including the longest home run for any West Michigan Whitecaps player this year, 452 feet. And when you think about some of the other players that have played in West Michigan this year, looking at you, Spencer Torkelson, looking at you, Dylan Dingler, that's an accomplishment. 452 feet for Brian Packard, the longest West Michigan home run this season. He is this week's best in class. Now, it's time for the Dylan Rosa Award winner this week, our honorable mention for best in class. And to tell us, it's our producer, Nate Wangler. Remember when we got a fresh-faced Riley Green out of Oviedo, Florida? Yes, and now he looks like he's 35 years old. Full beard, 20 pounds heavier than what he was in 2019. And the best part is, is he's checking every single box that you want a player like him to check along the way. We're getting exactly what we expected out of Riley Green. He's still 26 at-bats shy of his total from that 2019 season. He's one home run away from doubling his total from the 2019 season, and he's outstanding in the outfield. We already know that about Riley Green. So every single box he is checking on his way up the ladder, and we are looking at an outfield prospect that could make an appearance in Detroit sooner rather than later. Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game, we just spoke with him, and he mentioned the fact that Riley Green has done nothing to dispel the idea that he can't play center field in the major leagues. That's a big deal if Riley Green is your center fielder. Either that or he's going to be in a corner, but he's going to be an asset as a defender in the outfield. And I don't know if everybody agreed that that was the future outcome for Riley Green defensively. Of course, he knew it, and a lot of people in Oviedo, Florida knew it, but a lot of people in the Tigers system we hadn't seen that from Riley Green, and that was the most pleasant surprise of what we saw once he got to West Michigan in 2019, and he's been able to keep that up here with Erie here in 2021. Congrats to Riley Green, this week's winner of our Dylan Rosa Award. He has accepted this Rosa. Ex- yes. <laughs> the Road to Detroit podcast continues. It is the mission of this podcast to get our next guest ranked inside the top 100 prospects in Major League Baseball. We have certainly seen enough from him. He is Tigers' number four prospect, Dylan Dingler. Dylan, what's up, my friend? 
How are we doing, Dan? Good to see you. So tell me a little bit about what's going on in Erie, Pennsylvania. I mean, you got promoted a couple of weeks ago. Things look to be going pretty well. Yeah, yeah, it's going well. We're having a lot of fun right now. Uh, one of our biggest goals here is to win, as all as all the guys are saying. So he's like, I don't care. They're like, I don't care about getting promoted. I don't care about anything else. We are winning the Eastern League. So that's kind of like the one of the biggest uh, mindsets for the guys. But um, no, it's a lot of fun. We got a great group, got a great uh, staff up here. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Can't be that difficult to acclimate to your teammates because you obviously played on the backfields in Lakeland with them going into this season, or at least a good handful of them. But the competition is a little bit better. Is there any adjustment for you going from high A to double A? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Me and, me and Torque were talking about this uh, well yesterday. He's like, he, he feels like high A to double A is probably the biggest jump that you have to make. So it is definitely a little bit of a learning curve. Pitcher stuff's better. Um, you know, for me, I have to learn a whole new, whole new staff. Of course, I did catch some of these guys, you know, in spring training, but just kind of having to do that over again. It is, it is difficult. And also just being in a different area, you know, the change of scenery, but um, I've, I've had nothing but good experiences so far and look forward to, you know, the rest of the season. With them. Now you're trying to win at a harder place. And I saw you guys played I think it was Akron last week. That's not too far away from home for you to do it in front of your family. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's not the first time they've seen you play this season, but probably for some of the people that are a little bit closer to home. Yeah, no, I had, I had a lot of family, a lot of friends, a lot of friends and family, you know, come out to watch that game. I think somebody said on the one game alone, there's about 200 people from my area. Just to, I think on that Thursday night game, which was insane to me. Um, every time I'd look up, I would see all of my high school colors were purple and gold. I'd look up and see purple and gold and people wearing Jackson stuff. And it was really cool to see. Plus, you know, all my family that has been able to come watch me at this season. We're all there and they're, you know, 11 every second of it, which was awesome. Did you have any hope that after your time in high school that you would be drafted into Major League Baseball? I mean, yeah, it was talked about. I met with a couple teams um, about getting drafted. But I, I didn't really have any uh, – I never really have any interest in it because I, I personally wanted to go to college really bad and thought it was the best move for me, like, you know, from a maturing standpoint and also uh, education standpoint, you know. I don't I never really – I never really – I knew I was a decent player and it never really, like, clicked to me that it could have been possible until, like, junior, junior sophomore year of college. So it was kind of it was kind of a crazy ride, honestly. We're talking with Dylan Dingler. He was the Tigers' second round pick, first pick in round two. I mean, this is our draft show. We would be remiss if we didn't go back to your draft day because your your story reminds us that everything happens for a reason. You're projected to be a first round pick, and Dylan, what was that at all close to happening? I know a lot of phone calls get made on draft day. What other teams were looking at you? There are a few other teams that were looking, obviously, kind of some last-minute calls happening between my agent and, uh, you know, some organizations. But obviously, second day rolled around and, you know, just sat on the couch with my family. And it was kind of funny how it happened. Um, you know, everybody's kind of getting ready, getting dressed to watch watch the rest of uh, day two. And I think there's only like three or four of us that actually were able to be on time and sit down in the living room why when it happened it was crazy it was it caught me it caught me by surprise and you know thank god it was 
good surprise. A lot's been made of the foreign substance conversation. As a hitter, is your life harder, easier, or has it stayed the same? I feel like I haven't played against guys that are able to use it well, where I've, I've heard from some guys on our team that, you know, the second time around that we faced somebody, they didn't do as well or didn't pitch as well or their fastball didn't have this much life on it. So depending on what, you know, what substance is used, it does make a difference to a certain extent. But um, now just the whole thing's kind of crazy. The whole thing's crazy. Them checking belts, them checking uh, gloves and hats coming off the mound and stuff like that. It's, it's kind of funny where, what it's gotten to. We had Riley Green on episode one here on the Road to Detroit podcast, and he said, and this was while you were still in West Michigan, he said he saw a tweet from the Road to Detroit Twitter account with a picture of you and Spencer Torkelson, and he was afraid that he was getting replaced. Did you replace him? No, I, I, I still think, you know, it's, it's funny now how it's kind of morphed, especially now since we're on Erie, how there's a lot of the trio pictures. But uh, I still think I still think he's he's fine. He he shouldn't be worried. I know you only spent a month there, but what are some of your best memories from West Michigan? I'd say on the field, on the field when me and when me and Torkelson went back to back, that was pretty cool. We had a great like like I said, we had a great group, great staff, great uh you know Grand Rapids is a lot of fun, especially at full capacity that, that last week. That was that was a lot of fun and. I mean, it was just a good time. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. One of the things about Dylan is that you can typically see a Dylan Dingler highlight at some point almost every night over the course of a given game, and that's because of the defense Dylan plays behind the plate. So between throwing guys out at second base or backpicking or or hitting a bomb, what's your favorite thing to do on a baseball field? Because you can do quite a few different things that not a lot of people do. I think throwing somebody out. I'd rather I'd rather do that. Well, obviously, hitting a bomb is hitting a bomb. But aside from that, I would say throwing somebody out. I don't know. There's something about it, and like especially with catchers, uh, it just it just makes you feel really good and kind of like as you can be as calm as a player as you want. But anytime you throw somebody out, it gets you. You know, it gets you gets you a little rush, and you know, gives you a little confidence. You know, not cockiness, but more so confidence. And you know, I love that feeling. Would you rather throw somebody out on a straight steal or on a back pick? Depending on the situation of the game, probably straight steal. You know, if it's like one of those ninth inning, eighth inning, getting your getting your pitcher out of a tight spot with a back pick, that's also very awesome. You know, like straight steal, somebody that you know is fast and somebody you know is going, and they also know they're going. It's it's there's no other feeling just to know that you beat them. We're talking to Dylan Dingler. Who would you consider one of the most dominant players or some of the most dominant players of your childhood? Who did you respect and, and whose game did you want to go just, man, this guy's unbelievable? I like Jimmy Rollins a lot. I liked Ken Griffey Jr. a lot growing up. I liked Jim Tomey being from Cleveland. I don't know. But, like, I, I don't think I really appreciated the game until I was a little bit older, honestly. So, like, when I was going through – when I was in, like, middle school on – is probably when I started to pay a little bit more attention and watch, you know, the World Series and watch all the different games when, you know, the only reason I knew who players were back in the day were because of uh, MLB The Show 08. That's, that's my, that was my only way of, like, knowing, knowing, like, the players and stuff like that. 
Can't thank you enough for taking some time with us. Very, very excited to see what you're doing up in Erie now. It's no surprise to any of us, but the fact that you're able to do this so quickly, it's making it a lot of fun. Keep up the good work. Say hi to the guys for us, and thanks so much for joining us here on the road to Detroit. Dylan Dingler, everybody. Of course, Dan. Nice to see you again. It's now time for the road ahead. The Lakeland Flying Tigers of Low A. They face the Palm Beach Cardinals in a six-game homestand. Palm Beach, by the way, great Twitter account. For West Michigan, the Whitecaps cap off their 12-game road stretch with a six-game series against the division-leading Dayton Dragons. Double-A Erie, the Seawolves hit the road to face the Somerset Patriots for six games. And Toledo's going to Omaha, not for the College World Series, but for a six-game series against the Storm Chasers. That's a look at the road ahead. Coming up on next week's show, we are going to finally have the name of the third overall pick in the 2021 MLB Draft. So we cannot wait for this time next week. The Road to Detroit Season 2, Episode 6, and getting a chance to look forward to all new stories that we can tell you about from this 20-round draft class that will be formed next week for the Detroit Tigers. We hope you enjoyed this draft preview episode. Our thanks to Brian Sikowski of Perfect Game and to Tigers number 4 prospect Dylan Dingler. There's one last exercise we would love to try here on the Road to Detroit, and that's asking you to do us one favor. Share this podcast with the one person that you talk more Tigers baseball with than anybody else. Send it to that person because this show is made for you. The fact that you're listening to us right now assumes a couple of obvious truths. It means you're locked into the Tigers minor league farm system. It means you are as invested into the likes of the Tigers top prospects as we are. And chances are you have somebody else in your life that cares just as much as you do. Send them this show, especially with the draft coming up. There is a lot of homework to be done, and we're doing it for you. Send it to one person. Make sure we hit subscribe. You know the drill. It's the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. And that wraps up our episode for this week, Season 2, Episode 5. Let's find out who that pick is at number 3 overall. We'll be back next week where we can introduce you to the number 3 overall pick. That's on the next edition of the Road to Detroit podcast. But until then, see ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future, trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.